Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is now 8.03 a.m. Woo! Shout out to Ramsey and all that with the text last night. What's up with the CP time? We're here, baby. We're here. We're live. You are tuning into Good Morning, Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. And we have a great show for you. We are glad to be joined by our brother from another mother, our sister from another, our mister from another sister. <laughs> My man, Mr. Joel Frieders. What's up, sir? Thank you. Thank Good you. Good to see Thank you. you. Good to see you. Round of applause. <laughs> All right. Also, I have my awesome co-host, Christine. Good morning. JV, what up? What's going on? And we got Hunter in the house. All right. So, got a lot to talk to you guys about today. We're going to make it quick so we can get into this awesome interview. The weather is a chilly 56 degrees today. Now, the high will be 65. That fall weather, it's time to bust out the gear. You know, we got the Liz Claiborne over the shoulders today. That's just us, you know. But let's get the turtlenecks rocking. Shout out to Coles with the sales and everything like that. You can get some fly gear. Step the fall fashion up. It's about that time. Uh, also, Thursday, tomorrow is going to be rainy and 66 degrees. Friday will be 70 and cloudy as hell. And Saturday, 74, more rain and super cloudy. Um, for those introverts, we'll like that kind of stuff. All right. So, quickly... Want to go over the COVID-19 totals. Now, it was just two weeks ago that we told you guys that there was an increase in cases in Kane and Will County. As of the moment, in the U.S., there are 6,310,663 total cases of COVID-19 with 189,147 total deaths. Uh, that information has been updated as of yesterday at 1.16 p.m. with the next update coming at the same time today. And that's from cdc.gov slash COVID data tracker. All right. So please wear your masks. Uh, please, if you go into these locations, please don't be these kind of people knocking over the display case of sunglasses because you were told by some poor kid just to wear your mask. I mean, it's not that serious. Please, you can be saving not only your life, someone else's life. All right. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day, and that is going to be a theme permeating our discussion with Mr. Frieders. Uh, now let's go into what Downtown Aurora has going on. Shout out to Marissa. All right. This is Hunger Action Month. We gave you guys a list of the restaurants that are uh, doing things for Hunger Action Month and the carts that you may see brilliantly uh, inspired by some of the artists down here. Shout out to Jen Ingram. Jen Ingram Art, shout out to Viso Arts. Uh, but we want to double down on those businesses again and what they're doing. Altero Latin Fusion will donate 10% every Monday of September from 3 to 8 p.m. on orders of Al Pablano Tapa and Ala Organica Cocktail or a fresh squeezed lemonade. <laughs> Crisp as hell in the morning. They love it. <laughs> shout out to Altero Latin Fusion, 1 South Stolp Avenue. Gary Brown Art and Studio Gallery, 7 South Broadway. Uh, so all through September, $5 uh, for raffles. 
raffle entry during first Fridays in September. There'll be a $5 donation. Prizes will be artwork by Maureen Gassett, Gary Brown, and Karen Dulce. Gillerson's Grubbery will collect diapers and feminine products for the month of September. La Quinta de los Reyes will donate 10% uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays on any fajita plate during the month of September. Chicken fajitas, steak fajitas, veggie fajitas, and combo fajitas, all included. McCarty Mills, shout out, 140 South River Street, across from the Aurora Public Library. Good craft beer. Devin, what up, baby? Shout out to you in the morning. We'll donate 10% of sales of reserved keg from Brother Chimp. The beer of the month is For the Masses IPA. Treadwell will feature Marie's Herbal Tea and Society 57 at 100 South River Street. And the Cotton Seed Creative Exchange at 8 North Broadway will have donation boxes for Marie Wilkinson's Food Pantry during the month. And if you can donate to the Food Pantry, please do that. That has been a godsend and a boon for our community during this entire time of COVID. Uh, they have been feeding people left and right, thousands of people, and also in conjunction with the Northern Illinois Food Bank, the city of Aurora has also been feeding people at Phillips Park since March. Shout out to everyone involved in feeding people. Gathering of the Grassroots, McCarty Park, 50 East Park Place in Aurora, Illinois, this Saturday at 2 p.m. This will be hosted by the Echo uh, and the Pobum Society. This will be a gathering of the grassroots of people, uh, like-minded activists and uh, people concerned about the future of the community, getting together and meeting up and hashing out the ideas. So shout out to everyone who is involved in that. And that, as they say, is the news. All right. Now let's right. get into our interview with our brother. Sweet. Mr. Frieders. How you doing this morning, my man? Good. Every time you say Mr. Frieders, I look over my shoulder for my dad. Very. <laughs> Joel. Just Joel. Joel. Thank you. Joel it is. Joel it is. So for those who don't know, Joel, um, where are you from? Where were you born and raised? So born in Oak Park, uh, yeah. but I was raised in Aurora. My parents have owned a pharmacy of some sort uh, since 1983. We used wow. to be on the corner of Illinois and Highland as a medicine shop, a retail pharmacy, and then an option care home health agency. And then finally in 96, we went full compounding, cash only, no insurance uh, at that location. And now we're over off of Gale and Marshall, which is across from the old YMCA. Okay. Illinois High Street. Uh, Illinois and Highland. Illinois Highland. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Illinois and Highland. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that car place always across the street right there? Uh, there's never actually been a car place there. It was the one street corner that had a sign that seemed to be like in the wrong way, <laughs> like in the wrong spot. Like, why is this blocking the intersection? Yeah. Uh, but like... When my dad took the lease over from the guy that owned Fox Valley Drywall back when I was a kid, he said, hey, you can keep the sign. You just got to keep putting stuff up on it. So we used to have, like, we were known for, like, the weekly saying, whatever. We had a book of sayings that we put in there. And it was it was a pretty gross responsibility because those letters, I, I think that's where one of my tactile, like, my wife can't touch it, velvet. My mother-in-law can't touch popsicle sticks. I can't stand dirty plastic because oh. it was, <laughs> even the thought of it makes me nauseous. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's where we used to be. But then we moved over to uh, the new industrial park that Joe Van Trees built in 2006. Okay. Um, growing up, what impact did your mom have in your life? Uh, well, my mom and my dad are kind of like, I would say, in my opinion, relatively equal because they were both pharmacists and they were kind of passing the baton. Like my mom used to work at the U of I pharmacy downtown uh, while my dad was kind of getting things going with the medicine shop out here in Aurora. Yeah. Um, and because they were business owners, the thing that we never really got to do was take a, a family vacation. So one of the things I remember the most was I'd go to vacation or go on vacation with one of my parents. And then halfway through, I'd wake up and my other parent was there. And really? then I would finish out the vacation with my other parent. Which is kind of like if if you own a small business, <clears throat> excuse me, 
that's kind of like par for the course. So when I was a kid, my parents were always at work. So like my sister and I got really independent as far as like making dinners and, and taking care of ourselves. Um, and maybe about halfway through high school, I think my parents kind of realized that they, they missed out on a lot because they were super busy. So they took it upon themselves to kind of cut back their schedule and try to be home. And which was cool because at the time I was in bands and my bands always got to re rehearse in our basement. And my parents were totally cool with it because the kids are here. Right. So, uh, I would say that my parents taught me the value of simply being there because once they realized that, you know, if I'm not going to a, a, a practice after school, I'm going home to an empty house. And they started kind of meeting us there when the, when the pharmacy closed around 5, 530. Um, so I would say like my high school career, I was, I felt like my parents were a lot more accessible because I knew that I could bring all of my friends back home, go in the basement and be as loud as I want for as late as I wanted because it didn't bother anybody. Liberating. So it's, it's kind of like, that's one of the things that we did right before our kids became conscious was like, all right, well, let's fix up the basement and make sure that we're the cool house. And that's kind of what's happened because every time there's a party, you know, on the weekend, the boys are like, hey, can we stay at the Frieder's house? And it's like, that's what you want because that's what I had growing up. So it's like. You know, like, like, sometimes yeah. like when you're that. a parent, you have no idea what the hell you're doing and no, there's no book. I can't ask my parents, hey, what did you do during your first global pandemic when your kid was, right. you, know, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> so it's like, but knowing that it's simply just like being there is like, that's one of the reasons like right now, like, you know, we have twins. So that's, that's part of the reason why we are the way that we are. But, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have a babysitter for three kids under three. Right. So it was like, all right, well, just I go to work and I come home. And then I started doing the alderman thing. So I go to work, go home, and I go to city council, come back. And it's just trying to be present. And then we right. would take our kids everywhere or we just wouldn't go anywhere without our kids. So it, it became this, yeah, we annoy each other. Right. Yeah, we want to beat the crap out of each other. But there's this, this distinct comfort. And this is pre-COVID. Like, there's this distinct comfort in knowing that I don't have to have plans on the weekend because even doing nothing feels like I'm doing something right. because I'm with my dudes. You know what I mean? I saw this quote not so long ago. It said uh, one of those anonymous meme quote kind of things. It, yeah, said, yeah. it said, what's crazy is when you realize when you're a parent that your parents are growing up to like you're all growing up together yeah yeah mm -hmm. like your parents are growing up too. oh for sure that struck me i have an eight-year-old that was like holy cow mm. the light just yeah you know. eight eight's a really really bad age because they got opinions oh yeah <laughs> and now they can enunciate yeah they can put their foot down yeah it's, it's like, more than just why you know right. the why started early why yeah. should i you know yeah now it's like going into the why fleshing out the yeah. why yeah and and What's also kind of cool about that at the same time is that when you get a justification from a kid who is only influenced by their peers, social media, um, because nobody really watches TV anymore, and, and movies and music and just their friends on the bus or their friends at school or their friends in sport, you, you can see what a unattended opinion looks like. Where it's like, no, 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 it's not just like that. And you have to start kind of inserting pieces of real life because sure. all they're seeing is, you know, six second videos. Right. And assuming that that's how life is. And it, it's... I mean, I'm, I'm 40, and I'm just now learning enough that I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. Like, no idea. And I'm right. supposed to tell my kid, oh, you can be anything. Yeah, you can. But do you want to be anything? Right. Like, this whole idea, do you really want to go to college? Like, all right, so I'm 40. Do you know what I got last Friday, I think it was? I got an email that said, congratulations, you've paid off your student loans. It took me 19 years to pay off my student loans, and I have a degree in political science and philosophy. I sell drugs on a street corner with my parents. <laughs> I make suppositories. But I have a degree in political science and philosophy. So I can talk about that table existing, but I'm not going to get paid for it. Word. So it's like I want my kid, like, like one of my best friends, my friend Jeremy Jensen, 
can literally build anything. And sometimes you're like, what's that dude thinking about? He's building something in his head. Dude did not go to a four-year school to learn how to do that. He just did it. And that's something that I want my kids to realize, that being in the trades is probably one of the best things you can do. Because if you get in, I mean, union conversation aside, if you get in at the right age, by the time you're 45, 50, dude, you're making 60 bucks an hour right. to eat a sandwich once in a while. Like, right. But if you go just to college— somebody else for the hoagie. Exactly. Right. Like, think about a social worker. How long do they go to school? You know what they start out as with their salary? And I'm not saying we don't need social workers. Good Lord, do we need social workers. But we got to start valuing them more than we value some of these guys that are doing stuff that isn't really contributing to the you know society on the whole. I agree. No, but I totally agree. if you agree. can build something, you are of purpose. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with whether you're, you're pouring a drink or you're building a sandwich or you're building a, you know, building a building. The, act, the tactile act of actually doing something in my opinion, is relatively recession-proof. AOC was pouring drinks. Exactly. Before. Like, that's one of the things, before I got elected, people were, like, talking down to me because I had no elected official experience. How the hell am I supposed to have elected official experience if I don't win? And yeah. And one of the things that I learned very, very early on is that in the, in the service industry is that you're going to be a doormat, but you have to know how to take it. Not so that you can be a doormat forever, but you need to understand that sometimes it's not worth the argument when somebody's, you know, giving you crap over the size of your manicotti. It's, the, it's a little bit of pick your battles, yeah. and it's also a lot of common sense. Yeah. I think back, I used to, I, used, I worked at Olive Garden when I was. Me too. A long, yeah. Route 59? Not that okay. one. Uh, yeah, yeah, but shout out to the Route 59 Hell yeah, one. Oh, darn, yeah. What, what were your yeah. jobs yeah. at Olive Went there for Garden. training once. I was a time. server. Server? I was a server, and then uh, I started being a food runner in the back. I was a dude making sure that everybody shit got there hot and on time. Like, nah, bro. Soup and breadsticks? It's now you and Sally's food going out just because y'all homegirls. No, yeah. steak, table tent, make Whole that, crew. make Whole that. Whole crew, yes. Curtis, I'm, I, yo, hit me with this steak. Mm-hmm. I got you when your little salad comes up mm-hmm. for the Golden Girls out there. Dude. Democracy in action graduate. as best as possible. <laughs> so, like, I, yeah. I almost went down that, that, that managerial path mm-hmm. with Darden. Because I don't know if it was my personality at the time, but I knew that I could take the table that nobody wanted, and I would have a better experience than everybody else. Right. Because I would go up to them with no, no expectations. All right, I'm not going to get a tip, but I'm in a good mood. So why would I just contain that because I'm, like, salty right. that they're going to be a, a crap table? And that was something that I learned very, very early on is that your icebreaker, you sell yourself first, you sell the food second. And then they started making us bring wine bottles to the table. Yeah. I would always, I would always open. Like <laughs> I, I do 1030s to like 230s. Right. I would crush because I knew the people that needed to get in and out. Right. And I'd be like, all right, three Jaegers, cool, be right back and come back with their Diet Coke. So I, like, I, I feel that. You're in a rush. Mm-hmm. I will get you in and out. And I would seriously bank dinner time dollars in the lunch rush right because i knew that it was icebreakers selling yourself first and then just get them in get them out exactly and that level of you know to be able to lower someone's guard instantly when they have a preconceived notion that you're going to try to upsell them on something i know you don't want a white wine at 10 30 on a freaking tuesday right ma'am right i know you don't want the berry crostata i know that which is I, fire it, it is pretty fire even though it's freaking microwave bro right. like that's just it, it makes me sad it's like a hot pocket with fruit in it true True. Olive Garden has been lying to us. But, right. like, I won't lie, like the portobello ravioli, I still think about that. Ah, Just like that, it's a food show. Okay, Ooh. let's. let's, let's <laughs> Microwave portobello ravioli, hook me up. Right. What made you want to be an alderman? Uh, where are you, an alderman? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm an alderman in the United City of Yorkville, Third Ward. What's up? Uh, that's the Northwest Quadrant and Bristol Bay, which is above the water park. Um, so I moved into Yorkville in 2006 just as I thought I was leaving music. And. 
by the time I was out of music in 2012 completely and had three kids, I had replaced the shocks on my car or bought in a new car like four times because my roads, they just didn't finish my roads. Because, of course, in 2008, the bubble pops and my, my developer Honey. basically, you know, went under. Well, I keep on waiting. Hey, when are my roads going to be done? Because I got potholes that are literally growing plants. Like, had legalization happened before my roads got done, I would have tried to grow pot in a pothole <laughs> out of spite. But I was getting pissed. Like, how come I've lived here this long? And I live in Kendall County, and the taxes in Kendall County are ridiculous, like the second or third highest in the country. I might even be wrong. They might be the first. But they're ridiculous. For what you get versus what you're paying, it didn't make much sense. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to run for alderman, and I'm going to get my roads done. Because the answer I kept on getting was, well, it's in litigation. It's going to be a while. That's not a good enough answer. Right. So I ran for office just assuming that I would at least find out what's really going on. And I did. And it was in litigation. And it was going to take a long time. And that's a crappy answer to give somebody who's passionate about one thing. Like, my only goal, I'm going to get the freaking roads done. So as I learned about the process, it's like there's not much you can do because only, what, 7% of the entire city lives in one area. And only 2% of the, of the city lives in this one neighborhood. How are you going to come out of pocket and fix roads that are the responsibility of somebody else? But look at it from my perspective. I paid for a freaking security bond into this neighborhood right. to fix the improvements, the infrastructure improvements that will allow me to just live normally, which is sewers to drain the freaking rainwater and then roads so I can get to my damn house without breaking my freaking shocks, right? So I learned the process behind just kind of paying attention. I learned how the meetings work. I learned Robert's Rules of Order, all that fun stuff. But my only goal is I just want my roads done so I don't have that boom, boom, when I get into my neighborhood right. and then the boom, boom, when I pull into my freaking driveway. Like I was literally on my seventh car in six years or seventh car in nine years, excuse me, a little hyperbole. But it was always because I drive it a little while and then like a squeak would happen. All right, well, the squeak's going to cost 1800 bucks. What's oh. the value of the car? All right, well, I'll just get a different car. Because same with tires. I don't want to spend 900 bucks on tires. I'm just going to get a new used car. <laughs> so, that means to, so granted, it was stupid financially, but half of the reason why I was doing this is because my, my roads were just driving me crazy. And it got to the point where when I, after I got elected, because the roads weren't going any farther, I'm like, how do I just fix these potholes? Since it's the responsibility of the developer, and the city currently does not own ownership. They don't hold ownership of the roadway. So thankfully, they're plowing because, you know, public safety and all that. But they're not filling in potholes. So I'm like, how much does it cost to fill in a pothole? Uh, five or ten bucks. Okay. Here's 50 bucks. Can we just fill in the ones on my street? Screw the rest of the neighborhood. I don't right. care about those people. Right. And they know it. Like, just let me fix the one when I turn on the main road. And then the one when I go over that little bump. Just let me fix them. And like, okay. So I went in and I gave them, it was either check or cash. And they didn't know how to code it. How do you code an alderman? paying for potholes in a neighborhood that doesn't have completed roadways and the city doesn't hold ownership over them. They couldn't code it. So they gave me the money back. I'm like, well, what are we doing? We just, we're just going to fill the potholes. I'm like, All right, cool. So they would do these pass-throughs and they were realizing, wow, we are dumping a boatload of cold patch and hot patch on these potholes. potholes. And then come to find out the potholes that were patched were holding up better than the rest of the roadway because all they did was put down a binder. It's like they put down some gravel, they tamp it down, and they put down like the thinnest piece of asphalt they can find because they're building a neighborhood. Why go in with that, you know, the pretty stuff? You don't go curb to curb with the pretty asphalt until there's no big trucks driving over it. Otherwise, you got those divots, right? Like, it all makes sense, but I'm still pissed. I'm paying thousands of dollars a year in taxes, and then that was the other eye-opener. So Kendall County, you pay 95% of your taxes to the school board and the county. The other 680 bucks goes to my city. So you're telling me that Yorkville, per household, only gets 600 and something bucks a year, and that's for a house my size? Yeah. 
So how does Yorkville pull in money? Well, services and fees. So you got water. So there's the WIMF, which is the water infrastructure fee. There's the RIMF, which is the road infrastructure fee. There's the SIMF, which is the sewer infrastructure fee. Acronyms. And then there's another. Oh, bro. Acronyms, (laughs) number forms, all this, like IMRF. Like, I don't care. Fix the damn roads. So, like, I got to this point where I was like, if anything, just fix the roads and I will leave you all alone. Right. But there was also, like, this preconceived notion that I was going to come in and start flipping tables. Like, that's not ever my intention. Like, I want to know the people that I'm working with. I want to know why you drive by my neighborhood. You drive by my neighborhood to go fix somebody else's potholes but don't fix mine. Well, now I know. The city doesn't own them yet. They're not their responsibility. Okay? How do we get there? Well, it took six years. So I had to run again. How many, and how many campaign signs did you have? I only had one. <laughs> my friend Kim Granholm. Uh, from Aurora Fast Print, Kimmy Bartlett. I grew up with her. Um, she made me one campaign sign that said, this is my only campaign sign, please look twice. And it said, and it had a huge piece of broccoli on it, like a happy piece of broccoli, and yeah. it said, vote Freeders Ward 3. One sign, and I'm like, I'm not going to kiss babies, I'm not going to lie, if this doesn't work, I'll just be that annoying dude that shows up at city council with a, con- <laughs> with a constitution and starts banging up. Just fix my damn roads, right. I will leave you alone. And a taxpayer shirt. Well, that was the second year, yeah. The second year, I, I had a shirt made that said taxpayer when we went down to Springfield to mm-hmm. lobby. And I walked around with a shirt that said taxpayer in the state capitol, and I was floored. Like, the things that they talk about. Like, the day that I was there, they were banning baby bumpers. You know what right. a baby bumper yeah. is? Yeah, they banned those. That was, like, their big thing for the day. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is when Rauner, this is the second year, so Rauner was governor at that time. Bruce Rauner. And he was going around doing pictures with everyone. I'm like, hey, can we get a picture of Big Bruce? Oh, my gosh. And he kind of looked at me weird and looked at my shirt and then did a picture like this. <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. You're screwing me. Um, so, yeah, people aren't, the average person is not used to the mind-numbing minutia, minutia oh my God. of city council meetings and what it takes and everything like that. What was that experience like, not being in it and then now being being in it? Well, I, I, th- I think the learning curve, I, I think I lucked out, too, because there's a, a guy that works there. The city administrator's name is Bart Olson. And I don't think we're the same age. I think he's a little bit younger than me. But he understands the learning curve needed to bring somebody who's never served as an elected official to kind of bring them up to par. And he recommended a class that I take um, at Wabansi. You know, it's basically elected officials for dummies. And the first rule is how not to get sued. So, like, I, 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 was, I was prepared to ask as many questions as possible because if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to ask. Right. That's my rule at the pharmacy. Facts. If you don't know, just ask. You're not going to – there's no stupid questions. If you ask me the same question three times in, like, three days and every single time I've dropped what I'm doing and I've helped you, I might have an issue with that. But, again – ask your questions. So I would go through these packets, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with Aurora City Council packets. They can be 150 pages. They can be 1,000 pages. Yes. And I would read every page, and I would highlight, and this is where I got really big into using Adobe PDF comments. Like, I was going crazy. Highlight this, make a little comment. And then I would copy all my comment questions, and I'd send them over to Bart, the administrator. And the administrator's job is to answer all questions for all elected officials. Right. So when I would ask questions, he would respond to me, but then include everyone else on BCC saying elected officials blind carbon copied because the Open Meetings Act is a real thing. Yes. So, But my questions, I was getting phone calls from other aldermen saying, thanks for asking that question. I never thought to ask it. So here I am coming in blind. And this is one of the reasons why I think term limits make the most freaking sense. I stopped giving a shit about four or five months ago. I stopped looking so hard into the minutiae. Well, that's complacency. I, I, I am completely guilty of complacency. The world is heavy. 
I've lost my luster for the being an elected official in Yorkville because you said it, the minutia. Like, why do I need to know this? What is this doing on the grand scheme of things? And that's why I think term limits for local elected officials, two terms. Because, bro, you start believing your own BS. I don't have much BS because I got a wife and three kids and I get just pummeled with yeah, my yeah, own, you know, yeah. self-doubt. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. some people actually think that their opinions freaking matter. I right. don't have an opinion on everything, too, which is which pisses people off. <laughs> so rich white Christians don't like it when you don't have an opinion on something. Ooh, and then when you educate yourself on it, you. you have a basic idea. of our, This is where I think my opinion is. But again, not hold fast. Don't hold me to it. It's not my line of work. It's not my profession. Or guess what? It doesn't matter to me. Like, I am not afraid to say my opinions change with new information or I don't care. It does not impact me. Change, I don't care. sir. Yes, my opinion changes. Yes, I'm like that. That's I thought that's what being adult was. Right. So how come I can go into a meeting and feel a certain way and say, "What about this? What about this? What about this?" And the guy says, "No, nah, it's this, this, and this." And I'm going, "That actually makes sense." All right, let me think on that. Two weeks later, I come back after having done more research or more reading. My opinion, I now side with you. It makes perfect sense. This is how I used to think. This is how I currently think. Oh, you're a flip flopper. Aren't adults inherently flip-flopping? Yeah. Remember when fire was invented? No, because you weren't there, but the shit was hot. Right. <laughs> Don't yeah. touch it. What if every time you saw fire, you said, that stuff's pretty, and you went and you put your hand in it? Yeah. Bro, your opinion should change with new information. Right. That doesn't make me smarter than somebody else. It just means that I didn't know this much then. Now I don't know this much now. Well, my opinion should change. And I think that's my biggest problem with with government on the whole, is that if you change your mind or improve on something or, up, oh, we tried this, it didn't work, and you pivot to do something else, well, you should have known that it wasn't going to work. What? Right. I'm sorry. This is my first global pandemic. I didn't know that there was a way to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's what kind of bothers me. So, like, in my professional, unprofessional opinion, two terms. Get the hell out. You've done your piece. You now know how to communicate with the city government. And that was one of my, my goals when I got in was, all right, I'm going to run for one term, get my roads done, and get the hell out. Well, my roads took two terms, so I had to kind of stick around. But then my, my goal was, all right, well, when I leave, I want a person of color or a female up in this, because there are, there's no person of color on the city council in Yorkville. I know, yeah. Unfortunately, the, like, the, the percentage of, I think it's like between 4 and 7%. We have a very, very small you know, person of color uh, population out there. Um, but the most of the people who are people of color, who are business owners, are all, like, thriving because, again, Yorkville is a consumer society just like anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But it's like, all right, I want to make sure that I, I, I put this chair in a position where I can hand the baton to somebody who is going to represent further. Because as we go, dude, we're going to go from white and black and brown to everybody's going to be brown rel relatively soon, you know, soon being, you know, maybe 50, 60, 70 years. But when you understand that, why not start making that bed right now? So I don't know. I'm almost positive that the person who's going to come behind me is not a person of color. But as long as they're a good dude, I should be okay with it. Because that, that, that's my biggest fear. Like, oh, maybe I should stick around just to make sure no creeps get in there. Because let me be real. There are some creepy people out there who look totally normal, but their politics are insane. Oh, yeah. So that's what like, I'm, I'm looking out for because I love Yorkville. But I want to make sure that it's in good hands when I go back to just being a person who can throw a hell of a lot of stones. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Joel, you and I met several years ago mm -hmm. at CrossFit Oswego. Yep. Shout out to Joe, Joe Miranda, Miranda and the, the crew. Um, and one of the things you got me involved in was the suicide prevention awareness um, proclamation. Mm -hmm. And now you're with Hope for a Day. Hope for can, the Day, yeah. Can you tell us your story about how you got involved in that sure. whole movement? Yeah, so July, and I still get weepy when I talk once in a while. Um, end of July 2017, like I said. White, heterosexual, obviously privileged, 
married to a beautiful woman named Julie, who I am incredibly in love with. I got three amazing kids. But I wake up on a Saturday in July, and it's like my only day to sleep in because the whole month was packed. And I get up at like 4.45 in the morning, like, damn, I'm supposed to be sleeping in. I do what every American does when they wake up. I go sit on the toilet, and I open up Facebook, and I saw my friend Mike Malinowski essentially say goodbye. He wrote his suicide letter on Facebook. And I was like, why am I up? And then I look at the time, and it was five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before I sat down on the toilet. Like, so I did what anybody, what did you do? And I messaged him, what did you do? And I kept doing it. Get up, finish my business, walk in the bedroom. I'm like, Julie goes, why are you up? I'm like, Mike's dead. And I remember, she, like, I don't know what clicked, but she goes, the littlest rapper? Because we, like, as sad as, as my story with Mike is, everything that I have connected with him is funny. And he was a little rapper, and we called him the littlest rapper, and he was adorable, but he was, he was fucking cool, like, to put it anywhere else. He was 40 years old, just dope. And when I said, Mike's dead, the littlest rapper and like I smirked and then went you know this is what what men do when you got a supportive wife I just I dove for her chest and like sat there for a minute and that I could feel my body just like crawling in itself and it was miserable and being a guy who was relatively public I had to immediately kind of go all right how am I going to play this shit off how am I going to act like this isn't bothering me because it hit me like it punched me right in the stomach and that morning, I got messages from people that I haven't talked to in 15 years. So I, I used to play guitar. I'm a recovering musician is what I call myself. Um, so I was in bands around Chicago, and Mike was a big part of the Chicago independent hip-hop scene. And he would throw shows that were concerts. Like, he would sell out the Abbey. And, like, even though the Abbey's not huge, the whole place would just be moving, and it was inspiring. And that's like I still get goosebumps when I think about that stuff. And when... <clears throat> When I woke up and I, I kind of got back, you know, up to being upright, the people that I was speaking with were like, why didn't I know? And it was like this collective, you know, a very small hip hop community in Chicago of a couple thousand people. But everybody's like, why didn't we know something was up? Why didn't we do more? And it started to like eat at me. And it took me a while. But like over the course of three weeks, I went from normal Joel, like how I kind of how I was before I started talking about my friend Mike, but normal Joel and then when he died at the end of July, it was like the first two weeks of August. I don't think I said three words outside of my house. I just kind of went through the motions. Um, one of my best friends, Jeremy, I've already mentioned him, but I called him and I'm like, hey, dude, I don't know what the hell's going on, but um, I'm not good. He's like, do you want to get a drink? I'm like, it's 7.30 on a Tuesday. Yes, I do want to get a drink. So I sat, we had a beer, uh, talked for like five or six minutes, not about anything in particular, but he went his way and I went my way and I realized like, I don't think I've ever talked about the stuff that sucks, like outside of like complaining about it. So I, I kind of knew that I had to do something about it, but I didn't know what because I was still in that rut. Like everything, everything's numb, can't sleep, can't eat, don't really care. Um, I hadn't shaved my head in like two or three days. And that's like when you're a bald dude with this look going on, you kind of got to stay on top of that. So like my whole life kind of came to a stop and my wife is just letting me be because what are you supposed to snap out of it? You don't say snap out of it to somebody who's kind of in the thick of it. So my mayor at the time, Gary Galinsky, gives me a call one night because it was like the Wednesday after a city council meeting. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, Nothing. Because I was literally like staring at an air return vent, just minding my own business. My wife's watching TV. I'm staring at a vent. He's like, well, we got to do something. I'll wait. And he just sat there on the phone. Like, well, I don't know what you're like really expecting. I don't really have much to do. Um, I mean, city council's not for another couple of weeks. He goes, all right, well, what should we do? And he kept on using the word we, which was kind of reminding me that I wasn't alone. And then he started like, all right, well, let's talk about your strengths. What do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a writer. 
I'm a musician. He's like, all right, well, let's get back to the writing. And he started saying, what can you do with your writing to honor your friend? Well, we hung up, and I did some research, seeing that September was Suicide Prevention Month, and we had never adopted a proclamation that supported it. So I started writing one, and I got a, you know, every proclamation starts with where ads, where ads, where ads, where ads, on this date in history, whatever. And so I found a template, and I edited it, and I had three points that I wanted to make. One, suicide's an issue. Two, there are resources available everywhere. And three, you are enough. Say what's up. Remind your people that they're your people, right? So I, adopt, like, I asked, hey, can we, write, or can we adopt this? And he goes, yep, absolutely. So we put it on the agenda for August 24th, uh, 2017. City of Yorkville adopts the NSPAM, which is the National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month proclamation back in the day. And uh, that night I went home and I emailed every elected official that I knew um, from my toilet, which is where I do most of my work. Uh, you're welcome for the visual. And I sent him all of my, every elected official I knew. Here's the copy of the document that we just adopted. Uh, I'm still hurting from the loss of my friend Mike. Please just sign this. So 2017 was 24 cities, two counties, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, there's a town in Georgia. I don't know why I'm forgetting it, but my friend Mike Hickey is the one who got that down there in Georgia. Um, and then the state of Illinois adopted it. Um, so, all right, well, we kind of got something. But at this time, I still didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't really gotten any help. Um, I was still using the term committed suicide as if my friend had committed a freaking crime when that was something that I, I kind of had to be taught. So I was thirsty for, like, somebody teach me how to just be better to myself. How do I be better for the people around me? And it turned into this conversation where I knew that I was going to do this thing again, but I knew that I had to get help. So in 2018, I got permission to do it again with the city of Yorkville. Uh, which is called the NSPAMP, the National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month Proclamation. Uh, and I started doing emails. Well, in 2018, I was a little manic because I hadn't started therapy yet. So I ended up sending out over like 3,000, 3,500 emails. And we got 334 cities around the country in 40 different states and 16 or 21 different counties um, all talking about suicide from an official capacity, saying suicide's an issue, there are resources available, and you are enough. Um, but that's when I started therapy. It was January 2nd. 2018, I was in the movie Coco. Y'all seen Coco? Holy balls. If you ain't crying, even as a freaking masculine man, bruh, do you even live? Like, that movie just, like, like punched me in the stomach, and I remember my daughter going, Daddy, you okay? I was like, nah, I am not okay. And she's like, okay. And then she, you know, kept holding on to me, whatever, but I went home, and I called my wife. I'm like, I gotta go talk to somebody. And she's like, hell yeah. I'm, I'm proud of you. Took you five months, but I'm, I'm proud of you that you actually took that step. And I, uh, I did the worst thing. I Googled therapists near me, which don't ever do that again. But then I called the number on the back of my insurance card. Don't ever do that shit either. Like, it's just, it's, it took me 14 days to find a counselor. 14 days. Had I been, you know, had I not had the support system I have with, with, my, with my wife and my kids and my parents at work, there's a good chance that I might have actually been somebody that possibly attempted suicide, right? But I didn't get close to that because I have a support system. I'm lucky, but it still took me 14 freaking days to get a counselor. That's stupid. Yeah. So when I finally got the one, I went in, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. You know, and that's, it's funny because you go in to talk therapy thinking that they're going to say something and be like, I'm cured. And you walk out. But when you realize it's like this constant valving of the pressures that you never talk about that make you more and more comfortable with who you are and what, what's, what's going on in your life. So the proclamation started with me just doing it my, myself. And never, I never once accepted a proclamation in 2017 because I couldn't say the word suicide or Mike Malinowski without crying like I did today. Like, yeah, I'm a 40-year-old man. I'm manly as hell in some instances. But, dude, if I don't cry, I get that weird stomach ache, and then I start acting like I'm not me. So screw that. Real men cry. So, like, I'm getting that shit off my chest, right? 
But that's kind of where the proclamation project started and how I got involved with Hope for the Day in a short way. And I think you hit on a couple points there, too, about one, just having that one friend that you can talk to and just say, hey, I'm not okay. You know, I'm okay, but, you know, I just want to let you know what's going on. Yeah. Two is also finding a therapist. I think yeah. a lot of people think like, oh, I can't go to a therapist because it's a sign of weakness yeah. or, you know, I don't want people to know. But a lot of people do go to therapists just to have that neutral person outside of your family, outside of your, you know, your circle yeah. of friends to vent and, and say those things. Yeah. And, and that was my biggest, like, so I was fighting the stigma of not letting anybody else know that I was going through some stuff, but then I also needed help, which is weird because at my pharmacy, I always say the biggest sign of strength is when you ask for help. Like when my employees are in the weeds, like, you know, if you're in a restaurant mm-hmm. and you're in the weeds, if you don't ask for help, you're going to stay in the weeds. So how come that's true at work professionally? But mentally, I can't deal with my thoughts, feelings, and emotions because I don't understand why I feel a certain way. But then what's even worse is that sometimes, like for my experience, I went into therapy and it took me six weeks to realize that I had never talked about the suicides of my friend Howie when I was a kid, my drum teacher when I was like 15, um, and then my college roommate, Fossil Dereshny, completed suicide on May 10th, 2003, in my old bedroom at college. Six months after I left, it was Mother's Day. It was the day he was supposed to graduate. I, know, like, I had just gotten engaged, and we had just bought our first townhome together. I was not prepared to mourn. I was not prepared to be miserable. So I kind of swallowed it. And it took until 2017, 2018, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I've never actually talked about this. And then you could feel like these knots literally getting worked out like in my heart for lack of a better term that was like once I started talking about it with somebody that held no judgment over me I mean she got I I paid for my my services she was awesome Uh, actually if you need her her name is Jamie Kirkman at Trinity Wellness she was freaking great Um, but I was being honest with her yeah I never talked about this all right well what do you remember about it and I would spew just words like not realizing that I was retaining memories I just if I stopped and I thought about it it was too painful so it was the act of stopping. And that's why I think like when I got into meditation, and it's not that I, I, I can't do that stuff religiously. I do it for a little while, and then I fall off. And then I do it for a little while, and I fall off. Which, if you're in on meditation, that's what meditation is. You focus. Oh, your mind goes somewhere else. It's okay. Respect what got you distracted, and then put it in a pile, and then begin again. And that's what life is. But nobody tells you that when you're growing up. So it's almost like if I, as a dad can be honest with my kids saying, man, I am miserable. I am really sad. I don't know why. My stomach hurts. I can't eat. I can't sleep. Like at the same time, my vision was getting worse because of the cataracts. Like all these things were happening. Then I had the Joel hole. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a freaking punching bag for the world. Like, oh my God, like just, you know, you get that woe is me kind of thing going on, which is necessary sometimes to come back around that full circle and say, I want to talk about something. And then once you say it, like that term, getting something off your chest, you can literally get it off your chest. You don't got to, like, I'm not going to walk into a room with a dude with a bullet hole in his shoulder and say, dude, I lost my keys. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick my audience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to know who I'm talking to. But if I don't say the thing that, like, dude, I lost my keys. This shit's stressful. Do you know how much a smart key is to get rekeyed? It's like $295. So if I say to somebody, dude, I lost my keys, and that, that person wants to be supportive, do you know how to be supportive? People always say, I don't know what to say when somebody's you know, going through the thick of it. When somebody tells you something that sucks to them, here's what you say. That sucks. No judgment. Right. I am mm-hmm. matching your frustration. I might not be punching walls like you are or coming out of pocket for three bills to replace a smart key for your car. Right. But I'm not going to take what you're experiencing and assume that me experiencing it would handle it any different. So I'm treating that person with dignity. Or use the, uh, the old tired expression of, I know how you feel. 
But again, if I say I know how you feel to someone and I don't know how they feel, that's right. misplaced. You know, I'm not being genuine. Right. Like, so it's it's understanding that, uh, just like with Alderman stuff, I don't have an opinion on everything, but I respect the fact that you have one. Like people come in and talk to me about 5G once in a while, and I'm like, for real? Like you think bunnies explode? That's if that's your opinion, cool. But you're showing me articles from Mama's Blog dot co dot uk like i'm sorry i, I don't yeah. i don't refer to your reference as being relatively reliable real news but again if that person's coming at me and they're passionate about it i can conversate with them i might not agree with them but i'm not going to pile on to whatever else they're carrying right. and that's something that i was doing to myself because i would walk into the office with all these things that i was worried about or bothered with and rather than like getting them off my chest or writing them on post-it notes saying this is what i can control and this is what i can't i wasn't doing any of that i was just shaking my bottle and it took until I worked with Hope for the Day to realize that, dude, the mind is a freaking pop bottle. They call it a soda bottle, but I'm from Aurora, damn it. So the mind's a pop bottle. You're shaking it every day. There's the stuff inside of you that you don't know what's shaking it, like with me and my, 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 my self-doubt and stuff like that, Catholic guilt, self-doubt, you know, not feeling like I'm enough, all that stuff. But then there's taxes. There's traffic. There's, you know politics there's global politics there's the national political scene there's institutional uh, institutional racism there's all these things that are wrong in the world and when they compound and you don't get that stuff off your chest that's when the pop bottle explodes and you have a mess on your head what does depression look like i think depression can look different for everyone and that's like the beautiful thing with me not being like a clinician or a therapist but working with a mental health organization is that from our perspective we're coming at it as a peer like, this is my connection to mental health and suicide prevention. And this is why I am passionate about talking about my feelings, my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. But depression can look different for everybody. Like, I know for me, depression was 80,000 things that I'm doing. Man, like, mania. But, like, professional mania. Wow, look at Joel getting so much done. Yeah, bro. I was trying to ignore the fact that I was miserable. And, like, that, that second year, 234 cities, whatever, it's a big deal. Let's, let's double it. Let's triple it. Yeah, but at what cost? Like, what was I doing to myself? I'm sending emails to strangers. And the one thing that nobody talks about with city government, there's no database of elected officials because the, the turnover is every two years or every four years. Right. So how would anybody keep up with that? It's nearly impossible. And then when you get down to it, there are more cities with 10,000 or less people in this country than cities with 50,000 or more. Right. And yeah. some of those cities don't have a website. Like they got angel fire stuff. Like there's a little like that, the old gifts yeah. on the bottom, you know, like that's an angel fire website, man. I grew like, up next to Indiana. Um, close to Berlin, yet there is a million towns yeah. with populations of just scant people. Yeah. And the only they way to get a hold no... of them is a P.O. box or a phone number. Exactly. They're, trust me. There's four cops in this town. They ain't got no website. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how do you do outreach on a project that's important to you if for the first like four or five months of 2018, I would say 80% of my emails were bouncing back because either that elected official you know, quit or moved on or... They don't care. I mean, like that, that's the thing with election cycles. I mean, you have a six month before everybody's excited for it, and then you got 18 months of people settle in. And then on the federal level, you got, or some of the state levels, you got two year terms. By the right. time they're finally understanding what they do for a job, they got to rerun. So, how are they going to get anything done? But understanding that my goal was to talk about suicide and mental health so that the people in these cities knew who their mental health partner was. Right. And that was my big goal. And then I meet Hope for the Day. They change my opinion on all of the things that I had previously assumed because nobody talks about suicide, in, in, like, especially Catholic schools. Nobody talks about like, suicide and mental health. No. So, you know, take care of yourself. That's it. And we talk about self-care Sundays. Okay. Well, yeah, bath bombs are dope. Goat yoga sounds fun. 
but is that really helping me release the stresses and the pressures of the week that build up? Right. And it's like I had to learn healthy techniques. Yeah, a coping mechanism on a Friday afternoon is to crack a couple beers. But if I do that at 11 o'clock as opposed to 6 o'clock, I'm just kind of sending the wrong message to myself that that type of you know distraction is okay. It's not a coping mechanism if it negatively impacts the rest of your life like the thing that you're attempting to kind of get away from. Right. And it's one of the reasons why I'm always a little bit skeptical when somebody asks me to come talk about suicide prevention or mental health is that I think they assume that I'm going to be relatively clinical or safe. I'm a, I'm a dude, I'm a 40-year-old white dude, super privileged, beautiful wife, three crazy kids. If I don't have the permission to give myself, if I don't give myself permission to talk about the stuff that bothers me in an attempt to inspire you to at least talk about the stuff that bothers you to somebody that you trust, I'm not doing what I think I should be doing with my time. Right. They're opening up yeah. those difficult conversations. Exactly. So we want to make know. the conversation approachable as opposed to saying, come sit down next to me and tell me your feelings. That happens sometimes. And like I said, the best thing to say to somebody who's going through this stuff is, man, that sucks. And then I'm here. Right. Being there and taking them seriously and not judging them is the easiest way to just let somebody exist. And it's also incredibly freeing. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, myself and my friend Alia and some other folks from uh, Nature's Grace and Wellness, uh, the cannabis company, were down at uh, Greenhouse in Morris, which is a, a dispensary for recreational and medicinal marijuana. And we were doing the education, and you can see people just kind of like their eyes open. Of course, you can't see them because of their mask, but like you could see people realize that mental health isn't something where you have to go and do something. Mental health can be as easy as not doing something, which is when somebody comes up and tells you, bro, I'm pissed about this. Instead of responding like you think that they should be acting a certain way, that sucks. Like my stomach calms down when somebody's coming at me and I can tell that someone's tense with this interaction. Hey, how's it going? Or good to see you. Because how are you doing can be a, a, a question that you really don't want to answer, right? So, hey, good to see you. Takes that out of there. And then when they come at me with what they're upset about, ah, that sucks. Right. I'm not carrying your weight, man. I got enough of my own. I think I've, I've gone in a little bit on some of the stuff that I'm still carrying, but I don't need to carry your stuff. But when you look at it with like the, in the vein of stigmas, bro, if I look at you and think that you should be acting a certain way, I'm actively using energy that I could be using on something else. Right. Yeah. So rather than carrying that assumption that I have to judge you or I have to compare you two, why would I put two people on, on two different pedestals right next to each other? Who cares if they're the same or they're different? As long as they're not stealing my stuff or punching me in the face, I should give them the room to exist the way that they choose to exist, right? Right, yep. So, like, we talk about stigma a lot, and that's, like, this month for Suicide Prevention Month, we got the Stigma Swear Jar, which is hashtag Stigma Swear Jar or StigmaSwearJar.com, where we've asked the whole country, the whole world, Tell stigma how you really feel. Maybe throw a couple bucks in the swear jar. Um, but be honest. Like We want people to swear at stigma, whatever stigmas they're holding on to. We want them to share those stigmas because when you tell your story, you inspire others to tell their story. And then we want them to support. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be angry if somebody doesn't throw a couple bucks in the swear jar. But the idea is to start the conversation. And, and that's what Hope for the Day does. We start the conversation in every intersection and industry as, as possible. You're also doing a project, Smash the Stigma, with yeah. some local restaurants. So that's uh, Smash the Stigma was kind of born out of the fact that I got a whole lot of friends in the restaurant and craft beer industry that I met just through being a fan of their food or you know helping them open. Um, so in addition to being a, a, a relatively serious craft beer snob, um, I'm also a, a little bit of a, a purveyor of burgers. Um, so I had the idea to, what if we got all these restaurants 
to utilize the social media assets and branding of Hope for the Day and put one uh, menu item on their menu from today, Thursday, uh, September 10th, World Suicide Prevention Day, through Sunday. And I'll get a bunch of restaurants, and they will tag each other uh, in the burgers that they post, and their recipe will be specific to this this uh, four or five days. And a portion of those proceeds, when they hit their sales goal, will go back to, towards Hope for the Day. And then we have a trophy that Mike Mancuso from the Yeti's making. It's pretty cool with his 3D printer. Um, but we wanted to find a way to how do you bring the topic of mental health and suicide prevention into a restaurant when, even though some people might know it, but the food and beverage industry suffers with mental health issues all the time. Yes. And just because you go to a restaurant doesn't mean you, you see what actually happens in the back of the house. So it's understanding that mental health isn't just important for the back of the house and the front of the house staff, but we need restaurants to take responsibility and say, hey, we understand that this is an issue. Mental health is an issue. Suicide is an issue. If we start the conversation by identifying the fact that the reason why we're silent is stigma, and we do it collectively, like we got 17 restaurants and breweries from Illinois and Iowa. Like Gillerson's Grubbery's doing the Bourdain Burger. Excuse me. Uh, Kraft Urban's doing the Hope for the Day Burger. Uh, they're up in Geneva. And then also in Geneva, we got Barrel and Rye and Burger Local. And so they have four restaurants. Um, so this is the Bourbon Belly Group. So Nick Roberge and uh, Jack Waters. So they got Barrel and Rye, Burger Local. That's in uh, Geneva. They got Maze and Mash in Glen Ellen. And we got Burger Local in Wheaton, uh, which is my favorite restaurant on the planet. Uh, and then we got Rowdy's in Yorkville. Rowdy, Rowdy's was the first response I got. And they're doing a burger called the Semicolon. And it's like it's incredibly inspiring when friends of mine who have never really push to, hey, can you be a part of this? Um, even though they've been a part of, we used to do a 5K in my neighborhood uh, to benefit suicide prevention and hope for the day. Um, but to see all these restaurants, like so uh, Cadence Kitchen in Downers Grove, the Foxtail in Downers Grove, uh, Todd and Tim, those guys are amazing. Um, then the Fountainhead in Chicago, uh, Old Irving Brewing is a partner of a Hope for the Days. They're doing a burger specific for the week. Uh, but then Barntown Brewing in Des Moines, Iowa which is incredibly inspiring because as, as, as hokey or as, as simple as Barntown Brewing might sound to the outside eye, these people are pumping out incredible beers. And Alex, the uh, other brewer there, used to be down at Brickstone. Um, so he knows all the guys from the craft beer industry in Illinois, and they are constantly making road trips to go out there. And he just started a podcast called The Maker and Me, which I highly recommend. Super funny just to hear good people talk. Um, so, yeah, we got 17 restaurants and breweries around Illinois, you know, suburban Chicago, um, and then the one in Des Moines, but then Obscurity up in Elburn. Uh, if you haven't been there, their smoked meats are freaking incredible, but they do meads and craft beers, and then they own Lodi Tap House in both Utica, down by Starve Rock, and then Maple Park, um, and their smash burgers are insane. Where's wow. the Obscurity again? Obscurity is in Elburn, Elburn, just north of the train tracks, just past uh, Reams, if you're going north. If um, there was... If there was one good thing to come out of COVID, mm -hmm. I think it was that everybody realized, especially with the restaurant industry, yeah. that it's okay to say that you're struggling because yeah. we're all struggling. Yeah. Check on your neighbors. Um, be there to listen to people. Or if, you know, if you're not seeing people... You know, reach out to them. Yeah. You know, make a difference. Make yeah. an impact. Yeah, yeah. I, I think most of us have kind of realized that this is a, a, a blatant collective trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nobody on the planet, in my opinion, that hasn't been affected or impacted by this in some way, shape, or form. But then when you define what trauma is, like, trauma sounds like, oh, it's for people that have been in plane accidents or they've been kidnapped. Like, no, no, no. Trauma is basically when you are confronted with something and you don't know how to respond to it. So you have emotions. You have physical responses. Like, like when I talked about earlier, like, my wife can't touch velvet. She makes her nauseous. If I touch dirty plastic, I get, like, if I, you remember the old uh, rubber gloves that had powder in them? Oh, yeah. 
take those things off and then touch something, oh, like it makes me want to throw mm-hmm. up. There is a physical response to some, or there is an emotional response to some things that are physical, tactile, you know. The, the little plastic flossers. Yeah, God, don't get me started. <laughs> oh, yeah. For me, it's, it's the, uh, for me, it's that orange soap that was like granularly, and it, but it was a, the lava? It was a goop. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, it's that. Yeah. With the, uh, I mean, it just brings back bad memories. Uh, with the <laughs> and I'm talking about the old round fountain where yeah. the the water thing was the step. Yes. You had to press the step. Yeah, yes. That's, that's that reminds me of rust stains on the back of the sink. Yeah. Like white porcelain, whatever it was, but like rust. Yep. Well, uh, that's pretty. Gross. You had to step on the long metal like yes. plate thing, and then See, the, yeah. I, I have a weird one though, which isn't probably a surprise, but you know that I have a fear of blueberries. If they are in a can and they're in a pancake or they're in a muffin or they're in a waffle, fine with it. Right. You give me a raw blueberry and you put it in my hand, there's a good chance I'm going to drop it. So no packaged blueberries from Myers for Joel. Nah. None of that. Okay. Nah. Like, my wife knows just no blueberries. Like, if they're in a smoothie, no problem. Right. But uh, it's an alien ball. I don't want little <laughs> alien balls in my palm. It's got the little crown thing it, that's open at the yeah, top. Yeah, that's and you're really like, creepy. Yeah, it's like it's got a skin, but the top part's open, and you're like, But then the How? inside's the same color as the outside? Right. Who wrote this story? Right. Like, strawberries look like they're going to be blueberry-esque, but nah, bro. They get a little bit white and fleshy on the inside. Right. They're, and the seeds are on the outside. Totally fine. Blueberries. Get them out of my field of vision, please. I'm not a mango dude. Yeah, I've, I've tried. Not a mango I've, dude. I've really tried. And my mango tastes like flesh. With, it does. Yeah, it does. Oh. Now, here's the thing about it, too. I hate when it, like, starts to get, like, shreddy, kind of, like, fibery. Yeah. It's, like, it's almost like a pumpkin, like, when you're yes, de-gutting hate, the pumpkin. I hate that. But then what's my, funny like, is that I do revel in, when we do pumpkins, I yeah. revel in the squish. Because like I wash squish. my hands, and I, like, I Yeah, I don't mind the squish. Yeah. I do feel like I'm a Calvin and Hobbes fan. So there was one where uh, he is making pumpkins with Susie Durkins, the girl from next door, and, like... He's pretending he's giving a lobotomy to like a patient with the goop, like so. When I'm doing pumpkins, you're lobotomizing like, yeah, someone. I'm lobot. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm like, oh, roll, man. pulling this dude's brains out. It's cool. <laughs> um, so the time is now 8:56 a.m. This conversation was awesome, man. Time, what the hell? Sweet. The time go. We gotta, we gotta add to the shit. Seriously, man, we gotta add. Um, Good afternoon, Aurora. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I do want to ask, though, because uh, I, I want to get your perspective on this. It's it's okay to not be okay. Now, uh, with your background in the service industry, understanding and building rapport with people, but also preparing yourself for your personal expectation of what this may be. Mm -hmm. You talked about how you can see the conflicting, you know, some people can't handle certain tables. We're going in there with an open slate. If they're going to be an asshole, fine. I'm just, I'm going to be prepared for whatever they give me. And then making a a lemonade out of that lemon. Um, I believe there's no proper way to do it. You're never going to be, there's no manual to read for that kind of thing. But what would you say to specifically young people who are having those issues, those anxieties, those self-doubts within themselves and are already experiencing those mornings where they're waking up and just not fucking feeling it. Yeah. What would you say to them? Uh, It's okay not to be okay Mm -hmm. is appropriate. Yeah. But what would you say to them with your experience of what you've been through in your life? It's time to be selfish. 
as the world stresses go up, you have to surpass the amount of stress that you're basically putting on yourself, right. whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Like when, <clears throat> when COVID hit, so, you know, Black Friday, Friday the 13th, March 13th, um, I remember going, oh, my God, like this is going to impact everyone. And I realized that I had to quickly pivot into taking care of myself, not being selfish, but in a sense, being selfish, putting Joel first, which meant that every day, and this is something that I do just because of my ADHD, I write out the things that I'm going to do today. And then I take solace and scratching those things off, right? So it's finding those little rewards. And that's me being selfish. But I started like cleaning and organizing. And it's not taking my mind off of things directly. It's almost like in spite of what's happening to me, despite what's happening to me and to all of us, I'm going to stay busy and I'm going to make sure that the people around me are well taken care of. And like when you are young, you realize that your opinions don't always match with your families. And it's almost like, like with me at the pharmacy, I have to train customers to realize that I can't pull a suppository out of my butt. It does take a little while. It has to melt and set, right? Right. So you are essentially training your customers. When you are young, you have to kind of gently train the people around you to give you the space. Those, those boundaries that you want, you have to establish them. Right. People aren't going to know what the hell you need unless you say what you need. Right. So it's being selfish and it's identifying what makes you happy. How do you get to a place where you can do that more often? Now, I'm not saying that you want to be sitting in a, uh, in a hot tub for 45 minutes every day, but if that's what brings you back down to your baseline, you need to be able to identify it and then revel in it, which means you make it a priority. So one of the things that I'm working on with Joel right now is knowing that there's a lot of people that want to talk to me all the time. I have deleted Facebook, and I have silenced Facebook Messenger off of my phone. I cannot take, like yesterday was like 80-something messages and 70 of them for people I don't even know. So I realized that's not healthy for me. So I took it out of my life. And it sucks that I'm not you know, immediately available on, but the people that know how to get a hold of me know how to get a hold of me. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's, I set up the boundary, hey, things are weird. I know they're weird for you. If you need me, you can get a hold of me, but only through these means because everything else is reserved for the people that are in my circle. Here's what I appreciate about you as well. It was the experiences that you had before becoming an alder. Mm-hmm. You literally are in a profession where, like, yes, most of the people that you do not know are coming with grievances or issues or they're pissed off or they're things that don't even concern an alderman. Now mm-hmm. here they come with it. When are we going to get some taxes lowered for the blah, blah, blah? Right. It says a lot about you to have been able to pull yourself up out of, you know, d- d- you know the depths of, you know, feeling bad to do that and to be accessible to other people and deal with their stuff. Yeah. I'm not even going to call it crap. Deal, deal with their stuff. Yeah. Um, wow. Thanks. That's, I, I'm, just, I'm trying to be a better Joel today than Joel was yesterday because Joel yesterday was kind of a dick. So it's, it's, but it's also I was a dick to myself, and, and that's something that like we talk about stigma. Dude, I would have so many things I wanted to get off my chest, and then because somebody else had something happen, I would shut up. It's like, it's like the conversation with cops. Like on Tuesday night after I left city council, I was heated, very upset, as if I can only support cops or hate cops. That's, that's... And that really pisses me off because I love some police officers. I grew up with a couple that are Aurora cops. So Andy Martin and Matt Fichtel are two people, and Ted Gromes, three people that are very, very respected in the Aurora police community. I love the hell out of them. But I also tell them, I expect you to weed out these other assholes, right? I hold them to a standard that most people don't because I love and respect them and I've known them forever. I can hold in my heart two opposite feelings at the same exact time. I can be hungry 
but not hungry at the same time. So why can't I love good cops and want those bad cops to... I want the cops that murdered Breonna Taylor in her fucking sleep to be arrested right the fuck now. Right. But I still love my friends that are cops. Sure. I can hold two conflicting things, but when you talk about stigma, I can't talk about the fact that I lost my keys because you got your house repossessed. They can both exist, but you pick your audience. That's it. So when you understand that it's not about this person's opinion versus this person's opinion... It's the fact that they're both going to exist, and you have to coexist in a world with conflicting opinions and still find a way to wake up, brush your teeth, work out, shower, get to work, go about your day. But then also, what are you doing to make the bed for when you get home to be able to enjoy your life? And I know that some people are working two, three jobs right now, and it's miserable. But if you need something to do for yourself, the smallest thing you can do is not beat the crap out of yourself for having thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Like, I'm now learning to sit. Like, why am I pissed off? And I identify it, and I try to write as much as I can about it. Not for anybody else. I'll delete the notepad. But I want to know, why do I get pissed off about this? Why does it hurt my feelings when I find out about something that I've been working on is now changed? How come I'm the last person to know? I'm not. But I'm still susceptible to those types of feelings. I'm giving myself the ability to feel things. And that's something that I don't think we're ever taught how to do. The time is now 9.01 a.m., but it's all good. The show ends on a positive note. What's the message for the day? It's okay not to be okay. Just get things off your chest. And then please go visit Hope for the Day on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and then also, if you can, swear, share, and support it. That's stigmaswearjar.com. Shout out to Hope for the Day. Thank you very much for uh, listening and tuning in to our show, Good Morning Aurora. We've been blessed to sit down with our brother, Mr. Joel Frieders. Uh, like he said, um, the stigma swear jar mm-hmm. hashtag stigma swear jar uh shout out to hope for the day it's okay not to be okay this was awesome we appreciate him for coming in and from us to you be and we motivated. got a big announcement coming at 11 a.m I'm, I'm i'm legally bound not to say anything about it but there's something really big happening at 11 a.m all right damn that's a, and thank that's, you for my bracelets that's, that's a teaser but and we can't even debut it at 11 a.m damn so where can where can people find yeah. out about this at 11 a.m <laughs> yeah, so uh you're tricking me uh at Hope oh. for the Day on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, but then also hftd.org or hopefortheday.org. Tune in at yeah. 11 o'clock for that. Tune in at 11, uh, 11 o'clock for that. Follow up with that. Uh, all right. From Good Morning Aurora to the rest of you, be motivated. Be motivated today. We out. Peace. 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 Love.